0: Welcome to the weekly podcast from Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. For more information about Faith Community, please visit our website at www.faithcommunitychurch.net or check us out on Facebook by searching Faith Community Church Janesville. You can also reach us by email at podcast at faithjanesville.org. You can be a part of this ministry and help advance the kingdom by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a five-star review. This helps us spread the word of God in the podcast world, allowing us to better reach more people in the name of Christ.
1: It was supposed to be a day of mourning, a day of defeat, It was a day for the critics and skeptics to point the finger with smug satisfaction and declare, your savior was a fraud. His death has proven it. He is buried, he is gone, and he will be forgotten. It was supposed to be a day of darkness and a day of grief. A day when broken and confused followers felt lost and overwhelmed with hopelessness. Even those who went to visit the tomb that day expected to find nothing more than a lifeless body. It was supposed to be a day of sadness and weeping. But you transformed it into a day of rejoicing. A day of victory. A day when the children of God can shout with confidence, he is alive, he is risen, and he will never be forgotten. This day has driven out all darkness and grief, erased all sin and shame. A day when followers of the true savior are flooded with purpose, promises, and hope. This day echoes through the halls of history as the day our king crushed the head of the snake, tore through the chains of death itself, and claimed mankind for his kingdom. Tears of despair have become tears of overwhelming joy. For the Lord Jesus Christ has made this day of sorrow into a day
2: of worship. Thank you, Pastor Jesse. Welcome to you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Those of you online, we want to begin or begin my segment of the service anyway, by showing you a quick video clip of the church, CRC Church in Warsaw, Poland, that has been sheltering those who've come from war in Ukraine. This is a short clip of them worshiping that they sent us this past week. This is a church with big heart and they are taking in those who've come from war and they are giving of themselves and of the resources and we are coming alongside of them and we are partnering them, we are praying for them, we're communicating back and forth and we're giving of our resources so they can buy food and other needed supplies. And we're just happy, it's about 5.32 in Warsaw, Poland right now. And we're happy to be able to welcome them into our service as they're streaming live from Poland. And so, CRC Church, members from Ukraine, we welcome you into our service this morning. God bless you. God bless you. We love you today. We love you. We are uh, just blessed to be able to partner with you. And we are praying for you. We can't begin to understand what you're going through. The best we can do is stand by you and support you. And so welcome to our service. We are Faith Community Church in Wisconsin. And we are going to be celebrating the resurrection today. And I want to talk about the fact that Sunday is coming. And I want to do a little bit different service than normal. Normally I have, like any sermon right on a given sunday you give illustrations you might tell a story you've got an outline you know and all of that i'm not going to do that today i just want to tell you the story of easter and i'm going to tell you the story of easter from the perspective of mary magdalene she's someone we've been studying the last couple of weeks and she is the first person to see the risen christ and so let's look at her story where it begins In Luke chapter 8, we are privileged to meet Mary, and it is a story already in progress. By the time we meet her, a miracle has taken place in her life that we don't get to read. We don't have an account of it. We just have an account of what happened afterwards. So somewhere in that first year of the ministry of Jesus, probably towards the beginning, Mary is healed of demonic spirits. Mary has lived a life of darkness. She has been tormented from the inside. She is ostracized from the community. She is feared. People are afraid of her. She has harmed herself. She has probably attempted to harm others. She is seen as insane. She is seen as possessed. She is lonely, afraid, and lives a life of despair. And at one day... We're not sure exactly how it takes place, how they meet, but she encounters Jesus, and he touches her, and he releases her, and he sets her free. And for the first time, in the longest time, she feels like herself again. She feels alive again, and she is overwhelmed with thankfulness and love for Jesus, And she decides she is going to spend her days, as long as he's ministering, as long as she's traveling, she is going to be with them, helping and serving, along with other women who've been healed and cured of sicknesses and diseases. And we find their story in Acts chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. And it said these women were helping support them out of their own means. And so Mary and the other women got to see all the miracles, hear the teaching, astonishing things that Jesus did, open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, the lame to walk, and even raise the dead. And she watched good triumph over evil. She watched light triumph over darkness. And she was so blessed that she was now a part of light. But everything came to a crashing end when Jesus said to them that he was going to be arrested, that he was going to be beaten and crucified and killed. But on the third day would rise again. They didn't understand What he was trying to say. And remember as we went to that time in the Garden of Gethsemane in the Last Supper. And Jesus once again reiterated to them what was going to happen to him. Remember Peter stands up boldly and says, I will will be with you to the end. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He says, not me. Even if I have to die for you, I will never abandon you. And all the apostles said the same thing. We're with you to the end. Remember what happened? When they came to arrest Jesus, it said the disciples all scattered. And when it came time for the cross, only one remained, and that was John. But Mary was there. Mary was there. In Luke, or John, you know when you preach a lot of sermons, sometimes you can get things messed up, so please forgive me. In John 19, verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. She was near the cross. She heard the words that he spoke. She, she listened to his breathing. It became more labored. She looked at the hands that had touched her and it touched so many that were now full of blood. She looked at the feet, once covered in dust because they'd gone from place to place to bring the good news, now covered with blood. She saw his body racked in pain. She heard her groans. And as hard as it was for her to watch she knew that's exactly where she needed to be. Because she wanted him to see a face that he knew loved her. She wanted to be there to pray and hope against hope that maybe somehow, some way, he could still be rescued. Maybe God would do a miracle. Maybe somehow Jesus could come down from the cross. Maybe the Romans would realize their mistake and take him down before it's too late. And so she was there and she cried and she prayed and she watched somebody she loved be tortured and die. You and I can't begin to imagine the mental agony she went through. And the perplexing question that plagues her is how could this happen? How could this happen to such a good man? How could hatred be winning when she had watched love conquer all their days? How could darkness be winning when she had watched darkness be conquered by light time and time and time again it didn't seem right and she thought when she was possessed that darkness couldn't get any darker and hope couldn't seem any farther away but right now in this moment this darkness, when light had been a part of your life and that light was taken away, this darkness was dark. This despair was deep. And you and I have all had days like that. Maybe not to that degree, but certainly our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine are going through what pain that we cannot even begin to imagine. There is a story or a psalm in the Bible called Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is unique from all the other psalms. Psalm 88 starts dark, gets darker, and ends really, really dark. You know, Psalm, there are a lot of psalms that start dark, but then they get brighter. And then it talks about the bad news, and we're oppressed by our enemies, and then David or one of the other psalmists will say, but God, you'll rescue us, God, you'll redeem us, God, you're our hope. Psalm 88 doesn't do that. Psalm 88 ends with these words, darkness is my closest friend. And I used to read that and get kind of bummed by it, to be honest with you. Like, why is that in the Bible? You know why that's in the Bible? Because every one of us have Psalm 88 days of our lives. All of us go through dark seasons in our life. When we feel abandoned, when we're seeing darkness win, we see evil win. And we don't understand it, we feel alone. We feel like our prayers aren't heard and we are in despair. All of us have that. But what Mary doesn't know and what you and I know is that Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. She doesn't see it right now, she doesn't understand that to be the case. But Sunday morning is fast approaching. And then there's the time when Jesus says his last words it is finished. And he gives up his spirit, he breathes out his last, and he dies. It is finished. What does that mean? It is finished. His life is finished? Is my life now finished, she wonders? Am I going to go back to darkness? Was this just a brief respite in my life, and now I've got to go back to being a prisoner of darkness? What does this mean to me? And when his spirit leaves... We tend to sanitize death in our culture. But if you've been with somebody and they pass away, you know that that's just a shell there. That the life force that animated that body is gone. That no one's home. And there was that moment when she looked in the eyes of Jesus, the eyes that had looked in her eyes, and shown love. And she could look in those eyes, and they were open, and they were empty, and he was gone. And when he was gone, no more hope. When he was gone, as far as she was concerned, it was done. It was over. And Mary wept. Mary wept. But Mary does not go home still. It says in the book of Mark, chapter 15, that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. She saw where he was laid so she could go to him after the Sabbath and finish the job of anointing and preparing the body for burial that they had to stop when the Sabbath came. So she makes note of where he is, and they make plans to go back. But on the Sabbath, they went home and cried and wept and prayed and wept and tried to sleep, but sleep was hard to come by. She didn't realize it. Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming and everything was going to change. But right now, it was darkness. And then Sunday morning came. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Now, I want to pause right there and talk about the resurrection accounts. Sometimes people will read the resurrection accounts and they'll think there's contradictions. And enemies of Christianity, will point out the contradictions, and they'll go, oh, this gospel says it was light, this gospel says it was night, this gospel said there was one woman, this says two, this one says five, this one says there are one angel, this one says there are two, you see the Bible contradicts itself, but what it is, is four different accounts, four different vantage points of the same event. If you have a crime scene, or you have an accident, and the investigator investigates four different people, they're each going to give you a different insight, a different angle, different testimony of what took place. And the job of the investigator is to put all those pieces together and figure out what happened. And that's what we do when we read. We sit, I would advise you sometime to read Matthew 28 and then read Mark 16 and then read Luke 24 and then read John 20 and put them all together and you understand the story. Was it dark when they left or was it light when they left? Both. It was early in the morning. Have you ever started, maybe you work early in the morning and you, and you get up at the crack of dawn and it's dark and by the time you get to work, it's light, right? Happens every day. So they get up in, early in the morning, it's still dark, the sun hasn't risen yet. By the time they walk to the tomb, it's daytime, okay? So they leave in the darkness. By the time they arrive, it is light. Mary went to the tomb and saw the stone that had been removed from the entrance. Matthew tells us that prior to Mary's arrival, an angel had come. There had been an earthquake. The stone was removed, and an angel spoke to the guards, the soldiers in charge of guarding the tomb, and they freak out. They get afraid, and they run trembling to try to find their supervisors Because they understand that if anybody breaks in the tomb, it could cost them their lives. And they try to explain as best they can that something supernatural has taken place. And so when Mary gets there, she gets there with four other women. But because John is only focused on Mary, he's the only one here in this account he mentions by name. But we're going to see when she goes back to the other apostles to tell them the story of what happened. She uses third person plural. She says, We. She says, We. So there are other people with Mary, but John only mentions her in his account. But Mary comes with four other women. She comes, she doesn't see an angel, she doesn't talk to an angel. The stone is already empty. Mary looks in, she doesn't see a body, she instantly assumes this is a crime scene. Somebody has broken into the tomb, somebody has taken the body, and without conferring with the other women, she says, the only thing I can do, the best thing I can do, is to run back to the disciples and tell them this horrible thing that has happened. So Mary comes, the other women come, she looks in, she realizes he's gone, terrified. She runs away, and she's thinking, I thought this couldn't get any darker. And look, it's even got worse. I thought there's no way this could be worse than it is. But it's gotten worse. Imagine if you went to your memorial service for a loved one, and the, the funeral home said, we can't find the body. You'd be like, what? And yeah, I was here yesterday, but the body's gone. You would be so upset. Or if you went to the tomb, of a grave of a loved one and the body had been exhumed, you'd be so upset. Mary is just beside herself with grief. And so she takes off. While she takes off, the four women that remain, and a couple of them are older, they encounter the angels, the two angels. And they say, Whom are you seeking? You know, Jesus, he's not here. He is risen, and he has gone ahead of you. And into Galilee, go and tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. And so those four women then start off back to where the disciples are. By the time they start off, Mary is almost there. And when she gets there, she tells the disciples and John and Peter, take off. So it is chaos. Some are are going, some are coming. There's confusion. People are running everywhere trying to figure out what happens. So, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, who was the Apostle John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. What are we going to do? You've, you've got to help us. They've taken Jesus. So, Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John is humble and doesn't name himself, but John is also much younger than Peter. Younger legs, stronger, faster, he gets there first. He's humble, but he's boasting a little bit here, I got to say. Right? He bent over and looked in the strips of linen there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along from behind and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well, the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. And finding the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he also went inside and believed. And by reading the Greek and talking about the words used in the description of the linen, what is it saying here is that when they anoint Jesus and they put the linens on him, the, the anointing, the, what they used to anoint him, hardens. And so it becomes like a cast, like a cocoon around the body of the deceased. So in order for Jesus to get out of something like this, someone would need to come and and cut and, and help him to get out. But that's not what happens. It's like the cloths are undisturbed, according to the Greek, and it's like Jesus comes out of them and they just sink. You see, the linen cloths just sink And his body is gone. John realizes that's not possible. Nobody could get out of those grave clothes like that. And so John realizes, even before he's seen Jesus, that Jesus is resurrected. So John sees it, and he believes. But they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. The disciples went back to where they're staying. So now John and Peter run back to the house to talk to the disciples. When they get there, the four women are there. And they're giving their perspective. They're talking about the angels, and John's talking about the clothing. And everybody's giving their theory, and they're trying to figure out what takes place. But Mary stays. Mary doesn't go back. Mary has experienced trauma through what she has seen in the suffering of Jesus and the fact that they've taken away his body. Mary has reached that limit. You've reached that limit before, haven't you? When you've got nothing, you are so spent, you've got nothing left to give, and the only thing you can do is cry. I know our friends who've gone through this war, there have been times when all you can do is cry because you've got nothing left to give. That's what Mary was doing. It says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. For whatever reason, she heard something or saw something She decides to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around. Maybe she hears Jesus. Maybe she senses him, whatever the reason. But she turns around, and Jesus was standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. We can't say exactly why. Perhaps because it was she was in the tomb and it was dark there. Perhaps it's because she's been crying. Perhaps it's because the last time she saw him, he had been a person who had tortured severely, suffered intensely, and died. And his face was full of anguish and pain and blood. And now she sees a risen Jesus who is more full of life, more full of joy, than even the Jesus that she walked with when he was in his ministry. She's not expecting him. She doesn't recognize him. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will go get him. You're not even in trouble. I won't tell anybody. Just tell me where he's at. Because I want to go to him. I want to I minister to him. And when he says her name, her eyes are open and she understands who it is. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Reboli, teacher, master. She can't believe what she's seeing. And she wraps her arms around Jesus tears this time of joy and jesus says don't hold on to me for i've not yet ascended to my father instead tell my brothers go and tell them i am ascended to my father and your father to my god and your god mary magdalene finally realizes sunday has come and she is overcome with joy have you ever been overcome with joy that you can't even begin to contain it and you're so excited maybe you were a little kid and you want a contest or you got some cool gift and you, you can't wait to get home and tell your mom and dad, right? Or maybe in your, in your marriage, something wonderful happened. You won the lottery or something. I don't know. You know what happened in your life, right? But something wonderful and good happened. And you can't wait to tell people, this is Mary magnified a thousand times over. She cannot believe what she has seen and heard. And she is stumbling over herself and she is running Back again, this time not with awful, horrible news, but with the greatest possible news. Jesus is alive. She is the first one to see him, and she now understands that her future is not dark, but it's bright. She now understands that evil did not conquer over darkness, but light has conquered over darkness. Good has won. Love has conquered hate. And Mary Magdalene went back to the disciples and says, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I can't imagine what it would be like that day. I can't imagine as it begins to sink in that Jesus is alive and they recall back the things that he said and they begin to understand and put the puzzle together of what the significance of that Easter morning is. And so what is the big truth for us? What does all this point to? It points to this. Because Sunday morning came, Sunday morning comes for all of us. Sunday is coming for all of us. You who right now feel like there's darkness and evil that are winning. And my message to you in Poland is Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. For those who put your hope in Christ, Sunday is coming. Paul talks about the fact that the kingdom is, it is now and not yet. You know, John talks about that. He says, now are we the children of God, but we do not know yet what we shall be. But we do know we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings, he says, right now in this life, in this body, in this earth, we suffer. Even though Christ has been raised from the dead, we suffer. But he says, Our sufferings do not compare to the glory that we revealed in us. For we know that the whole creation, even the creation, has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we are the first fruits of the Spirit, growing inwardly as we eagerly, eagerly our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. We have adopted as sons and daughters now. But there's coming a fullness to that adoption. The full implications of our redemption are still to come. And he says, for in this hope you were saved. But hope that you've seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they've already seen? No one. You don't hope for what you've already seen. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. And some of us impatiently, right? Let's be honest, sometimes we're not so holy, sometimes we're not so righteous, sometimes we are so sick of darkness, and we're so sick of hate, we can't take it anymore, and we wait impatiently for the redemption that's coming, but Paul says it's coming. He says further, and we know that in all things, how many things? All All things, that was anemic. I hope Poland didn't hear that. In how many things? All things. God works for the good to those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Notice what he does not say. He does not say all things are good. He does not call evil good. He does not call darkness light. But he says God is able to use all things. God can bring about from darkness light. God can bring about from evil good. And that's an important promise for us to know. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Or if God is for us, who does it matter is against us? Does it matter what government? Does not matter what king? Does it matter what country? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. We're gonna do some, I haven't done this in any of the services, but I'm going to do it this morning because I have confidence in you. I'm going to say, shall trouble? And you're going to say no. Ukraine, Poland, you're going to say no, all right? Let's start that again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. no. Shall hardship? Shall persecution? No. Shall famine? No. Shall nakedness? No. Shall danger? No. Shall sword? No. no. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then Paul says emphatically, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and I love this verse, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, or any other powers, neither the height nor the depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sunday is coming because of Christ. Amen. We just want to reiterate that we are here to support you, that we love you. We're so grateful for CRC Church. Our hearts break for the people of Ukraine. And we want you to know that your God is our God. And we I want you to know that God will bring about good from the evil that has come. And we want you to know that redemption because of Christ Sunday is coming for the people of Ukraine. God bless you, and God, thank you, and thank you for being with us today. We truly appreciate that. Right now, Pastor Jesse has prepared a media with some of our staff and some from our music team about the significance of what the blood of Jesus means. Let's watch that together.
0: blood of Jesus means, I am forgiven, now and forevermore.
1: The blood of Jesus reminds me that I am dearly loved, I am forgiven, and I am set free. It means that I am redeemed, it means that
2: Jesus is Lord, um, it means that I am a new creation in Christ. The value of something is based upon the price someone is willing to pay. When we ask the question, what was the price that was paid for me? What was the price that God paid for you?
1: The God of all creation, infinite in power and majesty and wisdom and glory, took on flesh and blood flowed through his veins. Every drop, every cell, priceless and should have been revered and honored and protected but instead was mocked and scorned and shed for me. An unfathomable love resulting in an undeserving, ultimate sacrifice. My life means something. When I think of the blood of Jesus Christ, I think of the most precious substance in all the universe. Forget gold and silver and precious stones and diamonds. Just one drop of the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus means he's transfused new life into me. I'm no longer a slave to sin. It means it took our relationship with God to the next level.
2: I'm so thankful to God for the blood of Jesus, His Son, who died in my place. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, The price paid to redeem us was not silver and gold, but the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or stain.
1: I think of Ephesians 2.13 which says this, But in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. We were once far away from God. We were his enemies without any hope of earning his love or forgiveness. The blood of Jesus means love, that God so loved me that he gave his own son's life so that I could have eternal life. It means I no longer fear death. It also means there is an abundant hope in this world that only comes from Christ. I really struggle with beating myself up over things that I do that I shouldn't, or things
0: that I avoid that I should do, and to me, the blood of Christ means I don't need to do that, that there is therefore now no condemnation.
2: That he saved me from myself, for all my stupid decisions, he saved me. Jesus took the punishment that I deserved in exchange for God's eternal, unconditional love but God showed his love for us in this,
1: that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God makes the first move towards his creation in reconciliation. He offered himself to be the perfect sacrifice so that we could be brought near to God.
0: It inspires me to want to live more like Jesus and to tell others of the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ.
1: Where I am forever forgiven and forever in this love relationship with God the Father. Since I've been diagnosed with lupus, I struggle with anxiety and self-worth. Jesus' blood reminds me that I have purpose and life eternity. It means he forgave our sins. We are no longer at war with God, but we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And we are no longer his enemies, but we are adopted as his children into his family. And that is only made possible through the blood of Jesus. It means that it is finished it is finished and then to think that he shed all of it for me
0: jesus thank you for your sacrifice
1: thank, thank you jesus, jesus for the blood. blood
0: thank you jesus for the blood you shed thank you jesus for the blood thanks for taking the blood jesus
1: thank, thank you jesus for your blood. blood so thank you jesus for dying for me for overcoming death and all of my sin when you were raised from the dead for eternally loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Community Church Podcast. We are glad that you joined us and hope that you were blessed by the message. If you would like to join us in the ministry of sharing the Word of God, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. This helps us build the analytics of the channel, allowing us to better reach people in the name of Christ. Go be the light in your family, your
2: community, and your church. God bless you.